Hi, and welcome to The Rock's podcast. We are currently going verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark on Sunday mornings. We pray that these sermons encourage your faith. Now let's join Pastor Ross as we continue studying the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. Alrighty, everybody, I welcome you back to your seats as we get settled here. We are going to be in Mark chapter 12. We pick up on Tuesday of Passion Week. There in the text, let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, a a most important passage of scripture. They ask Jesus, what's the most important thing? What's the most important commandment of all? If you were to sum it all of Christianity up in one verse, what verse would that be? And Lord, so we want to pay special attention, Lord, to know what that means what does that look like? Unless uh, we miss the, the bullseye. Um, we thank you, Lord, for your wonderful grace and your mercy and your patience with all of us. We ask that you would reveal this truth and that it would be life-changing today. In Jesus' name, amen. With Valentine's Day greetings still lingering somewhat in the air, It's always a time of year when you hear stories about love, little inspiring vignettes here and there just pop up everywhere. And uh, last week was no different. I heard about, uh, well, according to Ripley's Believe It or Not, the longest love letter ever written and the most simple one at that was written back in 1875 by a Parisian painter And here's what he did. He wrote 1,875,000 times, I love you. French, a little shorter, je t'aime, you know, a cheater. So uh, it took him probably uh, six months uh, to to finally have that done. Je t'aime 1,000 times for every year from Christ's birth, 1,875,000 times. Well, I hope she appreciated that. That's all I can say. And you're looking at me like, yeah, I hope she didn't say something like, whoops, you have a spelling mistake here or something. Wouldn't that be terrible? But people do all kinds of crazy, sometimes eccentric, crazy, oftentimes courageous things when love is involved, a parent will rush into a burning building, of course. Someone will give up a kidney to help their beloved. Or read, I read uh, recently of a dad who infiltrated there in Syria behind uh, ISIS lines there uh, to rescue his radicalized son. Uh, You know why they do all of that? Because... There ain't no mountain high enough. There ain't no valley low enough. Ain't no river wide enough to keep me from getting to you. Babe. Babe. (laughs) Instead of the babe, we could put 
to our beloved, the one our heart adores. Now, one more in this little introduction. After 30 years of marriage there in Miyazaki Prefecture, Japan, a couple getting set to retire, the Kurokis, but Mrs. K developed diabetes, and as a result, she went blind. And she descended into a really deep and dark depression. Well, Mr. K got busy. Oh, she couldn't see any longer, but he wanted to bring a smile to her face. And he knew that she had this favorite flower that had a scent. She just adored the fragrance. So he thought, I'm going to get busy and plant her favorite fragrant flowers. And so he did. And take a look what happened here after a couple of years. Yeah, uh, it, they duplicated, and he kept working and working. On, you can see the next slide here. And one more. Well, what happened is, is that not only did she love the smell of the flowers that always made her happy, she also loved entertaining. And she had to stop entertaining when she became blind or, or severely limited. But what happened is that this turned into a tourist attraction and 7,000 people every cherry blossom season come by, not only to see the flowers, but because of the story, the tremendous love story. This is a picture of Mr. and Mrs. K, as I like to call them. <laughs> now, come on, folks, that is a feel-good story if ever there was one. He was asked, what? I mean, the work involved, and uh, what about all of that? And he said, and I quote, he said, work? It wasn't any work at all. Just seeing my wife smile again made any hard work seem like pure joy. And so that's just a beautiful thing. Thank you for those pictures. Love inspires amazing stuff, and it's love, of course, our love for God and God's great love for us, and the amazing ways that manifests itself is the subject of this morning's passage here. So let me uh, set you up the context in Mark chapter 12. As I said, it's Passion Week. In fact, it's Tuesday. Friday will be good Friday for us, bad Friday for him. He will bear the sins of the world on the cross. And he's passionately, hence the word Passion Week, headed toward that direction. But it's Tuesday, and he's teaching in the temple courts, right? And so uh, he is getting ready to um, lay down his life for the sins of the world, which will be, you know, more than a, a million jetems or 10,000 kidneys or 100 fields of fragrant flowers, as kind and beautiful as those gestures are. Man, when we get to Friday, speaking of crazy love, that is a pretty crazy plan to be God in a human body taking on the penalty the sins of the world for you and for me, so that we could be made right with God. And so now, as I said, it's, it's Tuesday, and um, we have to keep in mind, really, what's going on 
And as Christians, looking back at the cross, if you keep remembering what God has done on our behalf, it will really help us when we see what's important to God and what he requires in return. So let's take a look at what happened there uh, on Tuesday with one group of those who had some questions. Okay, one of the teachers of the law there in the temple courts comes to Jesus, and he's been listening to the debate that has been going on. And noticing that Jesus gave some pretty good answers, he asked Jesus, of all the commands, which is the most important? The most important one, Jesus said, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second one is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now look at this. There is no commandment singular greater than these two. It's one command, but it has two facets, love for God and love for others. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You're right in saying that God is one. There's nobody but him. (laughs) To love him with all your heart, all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, and now he's applying the verse to his heart, is more important than all this Old Testament burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he says to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And by the way, Mark says, and from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. (laughs) I love that line. And so we'll leave that up for a moment as we get situated here. Well, someone once famously was singing, what's love got to do with it, right? Well, in this case, if you're asking about Christianity, Christian life, what's the gospel all about? What's up with church? What's the bottom line for Christianity itself? What's love got to do with it? Um, Everything. It's the bottom line. Our love for God and God's love for us. So as we walk through, Jesus says, if you nail this one, you're going to nail everything in the entire book. If you catch this one thing that has two facets, everything else will take care of itself. So you're asking yourself, I'm asking myself, what does it mean to love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And am I doing that right now? How would I do it better? How can I keep the greatest commandment? What does that look like? Lest you get to heaven and realize, whoops, I had a couple things out of order which impacted my reward and my effectiveness for God because I didn't get the bottom line right. And my friends, it is so easy not to have the bottom line right. So we're going to take a look. This text divides quite nicely, as I like to say, into three talking points. Number one, you've got an honest question. Surprise. The three questions before, all deceptive, all trick questions. But this guy's been paying attention This guy, he's a scribe, he's having a change of heart. 
look at that, an honest question. And then we move to a simple answer. Jesus says, ah, that's easy. That's an easy question. I'll give it to you straight. And then lastly, a surprise ending. We have two former enemies, as it were, a scribe and the savior who were formerly hostile. In fact, the scribe is in the groups that are trying to trick him. But he's had a warming of his heart because he's actually open-minded and paying attention and liking what he sees Jesus doing. And so we end with a pleasant surprise, a happy ending, accolades for both of them. They come in for a bro hug, all right? And so that's good. Let's isolate that first honest question here. It's an honest question, but it is a dramatic departure, as I've been saying, from what has just come before. And what's important for you to understand, because it says, because of what he heard, and noticing how Jesus was bobbing and weaving and catching the, the, the verbal hand grenade, as it were, because they were questions meant to explode. And instead of exploding, like an expert bomb squad guy, Jesus takes a look at it, goes, you know, and then pulls the pin, maybe inserts the pin back, and then tosses it back to them. And so uh, he says, wow, wow once, wow twice, wow three times. And then he's like, hey, I've always wondered about something. And since you've done such a good job with the other stuff, I, I've got a real question for you. Actually, surprise, go figure. And so uh, we are taking a look at that honest question. Now, paradox of paradoxes, irony of all ironies, who's opposing Jesus in the temple courts? The religious people, they want him dead because he comes preaching about truth and uncovering hypocrisy. And if anything, uh, they'll be out of a job, really, uh, if he is received as Messiah. So they don't like him. And you have to understand this. So we're going to take a look, really, at the conflict that these three groups came first so you can understand why the guy's heart is soft and why he wants to ask an honest question, why he compliments Jesus, right? So these, um, there's groups. Let me introduce it this way to you. There are Pharisees who are the separated ones. That's what Pharisee means. And, and they were the conservative theologians. They were the Bible teachers. They were, are sometimes called teachers of the law. They're called scribes. They're called doctors. They're called PhD kind of doctors. They're called the elders, right? The only problem is, is they, they taught the Bible, but they were all about rules with, without relationship, and everything they did was for show. So they were lacking the one thing Jesus is going to say is the greatest. They had the outward ob, uh, observing, but they didn't have the inner, right? And then you had the Sadducees were, were the aristocrats. They were the wealthy priests. They ran the temple, right? And so the problem with them is that they didn't believe the Bible was true. They didn't believe in heaven or a hell. They believed when you die, you die, right? And so they were the corrupt priests. And then one more group just to know about the Herodians. As the name suggests, they were politicians who were, their, their whole point was is to get people in line with King Herod politically who was in line with Rome, 
who was occupying them. So they're just the religious slash politicians. And so that's who's all gathering around. Now, normally, there's no love lost between these factions, all right? They make up a council of 70 called the Sanhedrin, right? And their little groups, uh, they despise each other, right? But they have one thing in common on Passion Week. They all despise Jesus. And so the ancient proverb is true. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. So they get together in these little clusters. And on Tuesday of Passion Week, they decide to interrupt the Lord's teaching and his ministry and his healings there in the temple courts with some honest questions. Well, they weren't honest at all. They were meant to uh, Test him. And so I like to call this the, the, the day of temple tantrums. All right, so because they come. But uh, let's, can we take a look just for fun at the, 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 the three attempts to trick Jesus, right? Because he's listening, he's watching, and he's impressed, this guy. So much so to kind of leave his peer group and start to applaud Jesus. And Jesus tells them, man, you're getting pretty close. You're getting close to the gates, man. They're about to open up for you. What was it that caused him to come close to Jesus? Well, I'm glad you're asking. Number one. (laughs) Number one of the first attack questions, and let me give you something to look at while I'm yakking at you, okay? This is what's going on. And let me say this. These are the guys who are saying, hey, we've got a question, and they're trying to trick him and trap him. Now, the first thing I want to tell you is uh, Jesus did not have long hair. He did not have long hair, and here's, uh, here's the problem. Back in the Renaissance period, when Jesus was painted, all right, they got two terms mixed up. Those painters didn't know their Bible very well. And so instead uh, of thinking that he was a Nazarene from Nazareth. They thought he was a Nazarite. A Nazarite never cut his hair. But a Nazarene got haircuts (laughs) because it was disgraceful for a Jewish man to have long hair unless you're a Nazarite. But he's not a Nazarite. He's a Nazareth. Yeah, so... I wasn't around in the 1500s, so I couldn't tell them. And so they they just, yeah. So you're looking at this picture. Just know they cropped it around their ears. You know, I throw that in for free. Yeah. So group number one, which includes the scribes, and he's a scribe, and he's probably standing there. Group number one says, okay, you just overturned all the tables. You kicked everybody out. By what authority are you doing these things? So he says, okay, fair question. Um, I'm going to ask you guys a question. If you answer me, then I'll tell you from where my authority comes. So here's my question. John the Baptist, was he legit? Was he a legit prophet? Or is it just some guy yelling in the desert? Or did God send him? And so they said, can we take a moment? (laughs) So they got into their unholy huddle. And they said, if we say he's legit, he'll say, then why didn't you believe him? Right? Because John the Baptist said, there he is, the Messiah. He takes away the sins of the world. So they're trapped. 
if they say, yeah, he's from God, then Jesus will say, as they're saying, if we say he's legit, then he's going to say, why didn't you believe him? But if we say he was deranged and he didn't come from God, we'll be out of a job by tomorrow morning because the crowd loved John the Baptist and the crowd believed he was a prophet indeed. So they come back and they're like, he's got us. So they come back and they go, oh, that was so hard. We don't know. And Jesus smiles and goes, neither will I tell you where I get my authority from. So there. So, so the next group comes, right? And they say, oh, well, we'll do better than that. But our guy, our scribe, who's getting near to the kingdom of God, just heard him do that. And even though he's part of the problem, he thinks, touche, touche, Jesus. Well, that was pretty smart, clever. Let's try again. <laughs> Step right up, try to fool the, the creator of the world. <laughs> Not going to happen. So in chapter 12, verses 13 through 17, new theological brutes uh, begin with some flattery. They've, they've got the Herodians and they're the politicians, so it's going to make perfect sense about their trick question. So the trick question, ha, and it says to catch him in his words. So we know what their motive is. So they begin with flattery, and here's what they say. And by the way, Proverbs warns you, when someone's flattering you, they're spreading a trap, a net in front of you, because they want something from you. So Jesus is pretty smart. He knows that. But here's the flattery. They say, <clears throat> Everyone knows you're a man of all caps integrity. You aren't impressed with big shots. You don't show favoritism. You're not afraid to tell it like it is no matter who's listening, like Roman guards, right? And so we're just hoping that that man of integrity is about to answer a straight question. Taxes to Rome. Should we pay him? Is that right? A simple yes or no because they don't want what happened the first one, the first time, right? So we just want a yes or no, just tell us. Is it right or wrong to pay Caesar's taxes? Tax to Caesar's, to Caesar. And so I can almost imagine the smug, self-satisfied smiles. They toss the hand grenade. Oh, let's watch. It's lose-lose for Jesus, they're thinking. We can get the crowds to turn against him with, yes, pay. Or we could get the guards to come arrest him with no way, right? And so Jesus really first calls him out and says, why are you trying to trick me? So everybody's like, uh-huh. He says, bring me a, a denarius, a coin, so I can look at it. So they flip him a coin, he catches it, and he looks at it. Hmm, whose picture is this? Whose image is stamped on it? They say, Caesar's. He goes, okay, we'll give the what belongs to Caesar, some of his coins, but give to God what belongs to God. And here's what he's saying. Whose image is stamped on you guys? That would be the image of God. So give the coins to the government, but give your life to God. And they marveled. It's like, and our scribe, your verse says he's listening. He's watching, and the scribe went, wow, 
No one saw that coming, right? We thought the guards were on their way, but no, the guards were even like, that makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) So there's one left, one poison arrow left, and it's a hilarious one. It's so ridiculous. So the Sadducees, who don't believe there's a heaven, say, let's give him a theological conundrum, a dilemma, all right, so we're going to mix him up, but you know, in the so-called heaven, we'll ask him a question. So the head snake says, hey, he's always talking about heaven, so here we go, let's ask him. So they say, teacher, just so you know, Moses told us if a man dies without a son, the brother has a moral obligation to marry her, take her in, take care of her, and produce an heir, right? Now, you're not going to believe this, but let us tell you this story here. We know this family. They've got seven brothers, right? So one of the brothers marries this sweet little Jewish girl. And before she can have a baby, he dies. And so, you know what, you know, brother number two comes in. And before a baby's born, he died too. Can you believe that? Oy vey. Now, (laughs) number three brother comes in and he dies. And the number four brother comes in and he dies. And then there's a fifth brother. And guess what? He dies. There's a sixth brother. Guess what? He dies too. There's a brother number seven. And he dies too. Now, someone in the crowd should have said, has anyone reported her? (laughs) Have we checked the ingredients that go into the pot roast? (laughs) They're all dying. Yeah, they have a honeymoon. They don't even get to the honeymoon and he dies, you know? So they say, last of all, sadly, she died too. So, in your so-called heaven, who's married to who? Because she had seven guys, seven husbands, you know? So what do they do up there, you know? You know, roll dice? What, what is it? So Jesus says, there are two problems with you guys right now. Number one, you don't know the scriptures. Because if they knew the Old Testament, they would know there's eternal life. And there's heaven. King David said, at your right hand is eternal life and pleasures forevermore. Come on. You just don't know the scriptures. And when you don't know the scriptures, you make theological mistakes. Number two, he says, and you don't know the power of God. What does he mean by that? He says, listen, you yourselves aren't born again. You're not regenerated. You don't have the Holy Spirit. you, You haven't been, you haven't experienced the power of God. Now, people who do know the Lord who have experienced the power of God, they don't have a problem understanding God will fulfill his promises no matter how miraculous it it seems. Because guess what? He took somebody who was in a bar at 19 years old in total darkness and hated God, and that guy walked out, experienced the power of God, and became a born-again Christian without a Christian speaking to him and he becomes now a missionary, evangelist and a pastor. So I don't have the problem and nor do you who ever experienced the power of God to believe there's a heaven because I've already been raised to new life. So the same power that did that will for sure make sure that we are in heaven as well. That's all that means. So that's what he says. And he says, by the way, when you get to heaven, you're not like boss and employee. You're not like 
husband and wife or son and daughter or that's my third cousin, you know. (laughs) It's a little different. We don't need procreation, so things are different. But, you know, different, but trust me, better. And nobody's going to be bummed out in heaven. And one more thing. He said about the resurrection, he says, you quote Moses, how did God introduce himself to Moses? In a burning bush, and he said, I am the God of three dead guys, according to you. Well, they must not be dead if God said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They must be living because God's not the God of dead people. He's the God of living people. So there must be a heaven, and they must be alive. So take that, put that in your pipe, and (laughs) bye-bye. Now, our scribe who'd been listening to one, two, and three, said strike one, strike two, strike three. Wow. And now to his question, he says, Lord, thank you for the question, his question. He says, I've been, wow, good job. I've been wondering this all my life because I'm a scribe. My job is to know the 613 commands and copy them, copy them, copy them, and teach them, and copy, and copy, and copy, and copy. And there's debates. They divided them into heavy and light, the commands. And there's always a debate. And you know, in fact, I want to please God. Who wouldn't want to please God? So I'm just wondering, can you just give me a shortcut? Is there one that is king Is there one that rises to the top of the hundreds and thousands of do this, don't do this, God loves this, God hates that? Is there just one? What's the most important? If if Jesus, you claim to be from heaven, the Son of God, if you could pick one verse in the whole Bible to say, this is it, what would it be? And he said, that's easy. You'll love God with everything you've got. And you'll love other people with that same kind of love that you have for yourself. Well, the guy's, you know, he's got a point there. He really wants it to be simple. Is it one of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20? Is it one of those ethical principles? He whose walk is blameless, who does what is right, who speaks the truth from his heart and has no slander on his tongue, who keeps his oath even when it hurts. Is it that? Or is it what Isaiah said? It's he who finds favor, who is, uh, rejects bribes and dishonest gain. Is it what Micah said, Lord, when he said, he's shown you, O oh man, what God requires um, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. But which is, is there one that just goes right up to the top and Jesus says, there is. And this is what it is. So the simple answer, the most important one, he says, is this. Know that there's only one God, and he's our God. And he deserves all four parts of us, all completely loving him with every facet of our being and to love other people in the same sort of way. This is the greatest commandment. Let's talk about this simple answer point number two. Really, you know, and um, uh, one thing to notice, first of all, is that um, Jesus 
I don't know, did he point to the guy's forehead? Because on their foreheads, they had a verse of scripture and it was this one. So maybe Jesus was like, um, well, what does the Bible say? Well, what's on your forehead, buddy? You know, something, it's a shame that we can have it on our refrigerator door and we can sing it in worship here and still leave just going, well, what do I do? And we've already sung it. The guy preached on it. It's hanging on our refrigerator door. And we're like, duh, I don't know what to do. Well, you know, that's what the Pharisees were doing at the time. So notice the greatest command to love, you might have missed this, comes after an acknowledgement that there's only one God and he's our God. He's covenanted with us. Therefore, so what am I getting at? Here's what he's saying. This is why his self-disclosure of who he is is tied to, therefore, you should love him with everything you got. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, our God who's made some promises to us, right? Who loves us, right? He has a name. There's only one of him. There's no other gods. There's no other rivals. There's no other saviors. There's no, else, no one else vying for your love out there. There's no other reason. There's no other, and there's no one else worthy of your love and my love or our allegiance. There's only one God. He's the one who's adored in heaven. And in the end, everything is for this one God, by him, through him, because of him. And in the end, this one God and one God only who loves you is going to be the object of sight for every eye shall see him, right? Every tongue will confess that he is Lord and every knee will bow. So he's saying this one God is the only reason there's an earth and this one God, your God, is the only reason you exist. So if that's the case, then therefore you would love this only, one only God who's responsible for your very existence, let alone the earth and the universe. You would, of course, what would come before you and that being that's why that's mentioned there. So you would love him with four parts of your life, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love him with all of your heart, the center of one's feelings, longings, passions, affections, attitudes, emotions, your heart. Love him with all your soul, the center of who you are, your, 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 your will, your conscience, that decision-making part of you, your mind, your intellect, your understanding, your logic, your reasoning, your strength, your bodily energy, the way you live and move and have your being, the way you work, the way you live, the way you speak. This kind of love for God given he's the only God, the one who has pledged himself to you, makes perfect sense. The greatest being deserves our greatest efforts of love. The greatest being who's granted us the greatest privilege of life, the knowledge of him and his love. The greatest being who's shown us the greatest demonstration of love. And we, looking back on the cross, he deserves our greatest effort to love him back the way he's loved us, he has not withheld anything from 
us, right? And so I like, it's kind of summed up in a psalm, Psalm 103, verse 1, the way David says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Here are some ways Bibles translate that phrase. All that is within me, he says, let me bless his name. All that is within me, with all that I am, every part of me, all my being, everything inside of me, all my inmost being, deep down inside of me, from my head to my toes, in all my inward parts. Why does God say every ounce of your being, every fiber of your soul needs to be dedicated passionately 100% to loving him? Why? Is he insecure? He's not. He's saying that is when you are happiest and safest and most provided for and most blessed and most useful to me. And why would I want a relationship with you if it's half-hearted? Well, does that make any sense, right? And so we're complicated creatures. As I said, we have multiple layers. And let me prove to you how you can do things without one of those I've been calling them plates spinning, you know, the four plates of the heart, mind, soul, and strength. You know, he says, get them all spinning right, fully, right? Listen, we say things like different parts of us are in conflict with the other parts. He says, no, 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 not with God. You can't have that. So, for example, you could say he came to the meeting, but his heart wasn't in it. So it's a, we're missing heart there. How about this? She was just mouthing the words. There was no soul. How about this? He was there in body, but his mind was a thousand miles away. You're missing the mind. Going through the actions, you know, nobody looking in on the meeting would say, he's not doing this, he should be doing that. No, he's doing everything. He's just not there. And it's so easy to do that, you know. There's another one, the strength, you know, says, I wanted to say I'm sorry, but I couldn't find it in me. So all these parts, Jesus says, are parts of how we are and parts that need to be 100% given over to God to love him. Well, Barb asked me, as she does, how did first service go? And I said, oh. I said, oh, I, fine in the way you mean that, but not in my heart. In my heart, I'm so convicted how easy it is to have one of those plates down, to have unrequited love that one of those plates is done and crashed. Now three of them wobbling like this. Sometimes, do I have any plates at all up there? <laughs> you know, just tossing them back up. You know, oh, oh look at them spin, look at them spin. And, and you know, does anybody love God like that? He deserves it. And yet, we're busy doing our things. And we're not, we're missing the whole thing. I don't know about you, but if my wife said, honey, I love you so much. And over the years, I've been 95% faithful to you. (laughs) 
No, <laughs> this one, this one's 100% faithful. 98% faithful? What do we give him? What are we giving him? That's the most important thing is to love him with everything we have. But wait, there's more. The flip side to that, he says, part two, really it's one coin. That was the front of the coin. The back of the coin, the other side of the coin is equally as important is how you treat people because it's so easy to get the vertical, but the horizontal we think is secondary. He says, it's one commandment and it involves how you live with me, how you love me, and how you treat. Neighbor means whoever you're dealing with in the Hebrew. Whoever you're dealing with, whoever's standing there. He says that matters. Matters so much. Matthew chapter five on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, if you're writing out your check at the offering, which I bring up a lot, and you, re you realize You've offended somebody and it's within your power to make it right. At least apologize. Do God a favor. Leave your check in your wallet and go get right because God's not wanting to deal with you until you love your neighbor as yourself. That means you treat that person the way you want to be treated. And, and, and you can't be rude and trample over people and be insensitive and kind, it'll even hinder your prayers husband and wife if you're acting rudely and insensitively to your spouse and you wonder what's up with my prayers. They hit the ceiling and bounce down. Pay attention to how you're treating people because it's the greatest command. And it's something we're just like, whatever, God's gracious, you know, and all of that. And so I like what Jesus says. Matthew 22 and 44. He says, all, uh, all the prophets and the law hang on these two ideas. In other words, he's saying the 248 thou shalt and the 365 thou shalt not and the 39 books of the Old Testament and the 929 chapters of the Hebrew Scriptures and the 23,145 Old Testament verses are all summed up with loving God and loving others in a biblical way. He says, for example, listen, if you love God, you're not going to be worshiping money because if you love God with your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, does he need to say, and by the way, don't bow at any other idol, but have only worship the Lord and him only shall you serve? You don't need any other commands when your head over heels 100% from head to toe in love with somebody. You don't need to legislate a bunch of make sure you're sensitive, make sure you don't spit in their eye, make sure you don't cut off their arm. You know, you don't need things like that. So he says, when you're loving God and you're loving other people, do you need a, a command not to steal from them? If you're loving them the way you love yourself and you don't want to be stolen from, why would you steal? So you see, so he's saying the umbrella under which all of these commandments can be placed is love for God, full and whole and complete. 
and love for other people. And every sin we've ever committed is a breach of love and a breaking of one command. Every sin, every flaw, every weakness, every unbecoming word can be traced back just to two commands. Failure to love God and failure to love with that love others. You know, I I really don't need commands to love my wife. It's not a burden. That's what he's thinking. So there's a response to all of this. He says, well said, teacher. He says, high five. And he high fives the Lord. (laughs) You're totally right. And he repeats what Jesus said. And then he shows, I'm applying it already. (laughs) And so Jesus says, hey, man, you're getting close. You're getting close to the heaven that those dudes don't even believe is there. So let's talk about the surprise ending because it's so happy, isn't it? So. Uh, The scribe endorses the Lord's words. There's a gasp from his friends, his peers. Like, what? Are you going over to his side? Well, how can he resist? How can he resist? And he's so happy with what the Lord said. It just freed up his heart. So he says, good job, teacher. You're right. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 15 Leviticus 19, verse 18, those two things are more important than all the burnt offerings of the Old Testament. Well, the burnt offering, (laughs) pretty major part of Jewish life. And Judaism, Judaism, the heartbeat is the offerings right there. And he's saying more important than that is to obey and love God. Because you could bring in the big fat offerings and have a whole temple worship service and sing your hallelujahs and recite your psalms. But if you don't love God, what's the point? And that has a tremendous uh, application for us today. That terrible, haunting temptation of Revelation chapter 2 to lose our first love, to be going through the motions, right? And so you can go through church service singing the songs, giving in the offering, uh, praying the prayers, and never connect with God. You can do it. That's what he's saying here. To obey is better than sacrifice. It's better than the form. It's better than all of that. So what does it look like to love God like this, right? Well, it's not easy to to detect or to define because Jesus will say, if you love me, keep my commandments. Oh, oy vey, we're back to that again. So here's what has to happen. This guy was keeping commands, but he had the cart before the horse, all of them. They made religion all about the rules without the relationship. And when you have rules Without relationship, you have legalism, you have dead religion that will kill God right in its midst, you see. So he's saying, get the horse out front, which is the love for God. And from your love, let all of the things spring. So if this guy did cross over the threshold, I don't think you would know immediately by what he did or didn't do that he now was saved because he was doing so many good things. Now, 
He would give still, but he wouldn't blow a trumpet before like they used to do, right? And he had prayer tassels on to show everybody, look at how long my prayers are. He'd clip them off, but he wouldn't stop praying. You see? So just things are reversed. Now I do life connected, engaged as a result of God's love to me. Now I'm doing this good thing. And no good thing counts. That's done no matter what it's sacrificed, no matter how much it costs you and all of that. If it doesn't issue forth from a personal relationship with God, what's the point? In Isaiah chapter 1, the Lord tells the Jews who have gathered for church, quote unquote, he says, I'm so weary of this. I'm tired to death of you guys getting together. You live one way outside. You don't think about me. You don't talk about me. You don't read my word. You don't obey me. You treat one another terribly. And then you come together with the hallelujahs and you're reading the word and all of this. Isaiah chapter one. And he says, I get an upset stomach. I've got my fingers in my ears, says the Lord, because that kind of assembly, you're missing the whole point. It's a car without the engine. (laughs) Is a religious life without a personal, loving relationship with God. That's what it's all about. And sadly, Revelation chapter 2, everyone's nightmare. Jesus speaking to a church. And he says, listen, I want to commend you guys. Your theological ducks, check, all in a row. You work long, hard hours, check. Thank you for that. Oh, thank you for kicking evil men out of leadership, check. But I got this thing against you. You don't love me anymore. What happened to me and you? What happened to the walks? What happened to the easy obedience? What happened to the prayer times? What happened to a little tear once in a while? What happened to going the extra mile and keeping a tight rein on your tongue all because you love me and not answering back like that and not using that kind of language? And do you remember when you would turn your head at the commercials because you didn't want to upset me because you loved me. And now what happened? Well, you have fallen far, but nobody else would know except me because you look like everything's fine. Nobody would ever guess that you don't love me because it looks like you do, but you don't. So I counsel you, Get back, put the engine back in the car, get the plate spinning again. And how do you do that? I'll tell you, it'll work every single time, the cross. Oh, if that's my God in a body who's gasping out my name, and he's got my name, Ross Reinman, no middle initial on his hands and says, this buddy was for you. I was gasping for breath, thinking about you in the garden. I said, I'd do this. If there's another way, I'm not going to do it. But if you, and I was thinking of you, I would do it for you, Ross. 
Oh, now you can ask me to go to church. You don't have to beg me to go to church. You have to beg someone to go to church. You know, where's the, the plates are not spinning. Because you want to be with God's people. You want to be a blessing to him. How can I serve? People don't have to say, please, the bagels. We need help with the bagels, please. <laughs> you know, you could even eat some of them if you just help. Oh, <laughs> uh, no. Have you got all four plates spinning? I got a ring, a class ring once in my undergrad studies. And I made sure the stone was red because I wanted to be reminded of the blood that makes these hands do something right and good. Yes, if I'm motivated by this, then I can shut my mouth when I want to open it. I can change my attitude. I can look this way because it is. Because I love him in response. It is not that we first loved God, but that God first loved us. And gave his son as an atonement for our sins. Your love and those plates spin. Not because you love God. But you're responding. So the way to birth and renew that love. Is to meditate on what's been done for you. Then you can do the hard work. I don't do one hard thing in my Christian life without calling on that. The easy things are one thing. But when I have to close my mouth, when I have to answer politely, when I have to forgive someone who's not even acknowledged it, I go here. Oh, now I, now I can make light work of what could be hard work in the dirt digging and all that. That brings me back to the flowers. Listen. I love how the Bible says some of our offerings, the way we live our life, rises to God as a fragrant scent. He smells the good works and what we're doing out of a heart of love. So I started thinking, you know, I'll eat dirt. <laughs> I'll close my mouth. I'll turn my head. I, 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 I'll, get, I'll open the home. I'm tired of the one open home. All of that. But if I start thinking of the love of God, right? Or him. Then I'll dig. And I'll plant. And I'll say the kind word. And I'll forgive that. And I'll overlook the offense. And I'll make sure I'm giving. And I'll make sure I'm serving. Right? Dig. Dirty hands. Dig. Work. Dig. Work. And then suddenly... Up comes this surrounding our houses, the temple of the Holy Spirit, this fragrance that our beloved can, can smell and enjoy and say, look at this surrounding this guy, this fragrance. Yeah, and you can ask, isn't it hard work? Isn't it a burden to always tell your flesh no? Oh, no, it's not a burden to love God. God, it's a privilege and a joy. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we are just so, <laughs> we're encouraged on one hand and we're convicted on the other because we all fall short. Lord, we don't, we're not very good at loving you or one another. We're worse at that, I think, God, but help us. 
We got a little of it going, Lord. Just uh, Holy Spirit, just fall on us and help us to come to life inside. To not go through the motions anymore. Just it's going to burn us out. We need a fresh baptism of your love to us. Help us to grasp it, to come to life, to love you, and to love others. In Christ's name, amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.